Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. In this book of Deuteronomy, which is of course the last of the five books of Moses, Moses rehearses the wanderings and the disobedience of the children of Israel, and he recapitulates the law of God. Deuteronomy is the book of the second law. That law had first been given nearly 40 years previously at Mount Sinai. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 20. But the repetition of that law, with some little bits of augmentation, you will find in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We haven't got time to read all these verses, but you will see that Moses said to Israel in verse 2 of chapter 5, The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. And the covenant that he's referring to is the law, the Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue, as it's often called. These commandments were uttered by the voice of God to all the people from the Mount Sinai. You read about the leading up to that in Exodus 19 and the actual event in Exodus 20. As I say, the word Deuteronomy, the name of this book, literally means second law. But it is actually really the equivalent of the Greek word for copy, or what we might call today a duplicate. You know how you go to one of those stores and if you don't have it at home, you make a copy and it is a duplicate of what you've actually got? This is what this means. This is a copy, this is a duplicate of the law that God gave to his people. Now if you read chapter 17 of Deuteronomy and verse 18, it says this, And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, this is the king that will come eventually, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. The title given to the book of Deuteronomy in the Hebrew original is actually taken from the first verse of the book. These are the words. You'll see it there in chapter 1 and verse 1. These be the words, or these are the words which Moses spake unto all Israel. Deuteronomy is closely connected with Numbers, the book that we just finished looking at. Especially is that so in relation to time and place. And I can show you that from the last verse of Numbers and the first verse of Deuteronomy. Just look at it quickly. Numbers 36, 13. These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. Now, they're not in the promised land yet. They're still on this side of the river Jordan. Now, Chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, verse 1. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel 
on this side, Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain, over against the Red Sea. Now this book, Deuteronomy, continues, therefore, with what took place on the first day of the eleventh month of the fortieth year in the wilderness. And we see that from verse 3 of chapter 1. And it came to pass, here's the chronological setting of the book. It came to pass in the fortieth year, in the eleventh month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel according unto all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. So here you have the actual historical setting. But by the tenth day of the first month of the following year, that's, you might call it the 41st year of wandering, since they were in Egypt, or some 70 days later, the Israelites had only just crossed the River Jordan. And you read about that in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 19. Let me just give you that reference. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. In the final chapter of Deuteronomy, we're told that the people mourned Moses' death for 30 days. So, the declaration of this law, chapter 1, verse 5, On this side Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, and so on, The declaration of this law, or the entire book up to chapter 34, verse 8, covers less than 40 days. You might find that surprising when you read through all that's in Deuteronomy. But it's a very short space of time. Although the review of Israel's wilderness experience included in the book ranges for over approximately 40 years. We talked about that last time. <clears throat> they were actually about 11 days journey from the promised land. They could have entered in much, much earlier. But because of their unbelief, because of their failure to trust God, their failure to obey God, they remained wandering about, going round in circles, like some people do in their lives today, for almost 40 years. Have you ever seen a hamster in a cage on one of those little wheels? And it's all tons of activity, isn't it? He's running and running and running. But guess what? He's going nowhere. And that's like some who profess the name of the Lord. Wandering and wandering, wandering. Much activity, but no progress. This is the children of Israel. But here they are on the edge of the promised land. And all that generation has died out except for a couple of old men. There's a new generation now that's going to enter the land. But that brings us to think about several things in Deuteronomy. And today I want to give you an overview of the book. The fact of the matter is that the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, it's a lot of scripture. It's a lot of material. And if there was, and there was, a Puritan called Joseph Carroll who preached on the book of Job for 13 years 
I think if I stayed in the Pentateuch and just studied that as it could be studied, I could beat him. But I wouldn't want to be preaching to wood and timber because people might get fed up with looking at the same thing all the time, even if it is good. So we're giving an overview of the book. And what I want to do first of all is talk about the objective of Deuteronomy. The objective of the book of Deuteronomy or the purpose of the book. You'll see that in its pages there's no advance on the history of Israel really to speak of. But it is rather an historical summary in the form of discourses or exhortations. Various things that are said to the people by Moses from God. And Deuteronomy actually shows us the true meaning and the potentialities, to use a big word, of all that went before. What could have happened. The new generation, as I said, was on the border, was on the border of Canaan. It needed to have moral preparation for its future and for the planting of the true religion in that land. See, the land of Canaan was full of, you might be surprised at this, Canaanites. The people who lived in Canaan were godless. They were wicked. They worshipped other gods. Not the true Jehovah God of Israel. So the people of God were going to enter the land and introduce the true religion to that place. Here they are on the border of Canaan. They're going to plant the true religion in the land. And so the book records the completion of God's training of his people for their life under the theocracy. Now a theocracy is basically... The direct rule of God over the people. Now we don't have that today. There are some who think that that's what we should have, but that's not what we have. We don't live in a theocracy. Israel lived in a theocracy. God was their ruler. They were under the direct rule of God. That's why God carried out his judgments as he did at that particular time. Now notice the following phrases that are expressive of God's purpose. For example, you read in Deuteronomy the term the land. Speaking about the actual territory. You'll read about the land over 100 times. The word given. Which actually denotes <coughs> the bestowal of divine grace. You'll see that word used 75 times. There's another phrase, this day, not tomorrow, not yesterday, this day. You see that 70 times in the book. And the word possess, like going in to possess the land, you'll find it nearly 70 times in the book. In Deuteronomy, Moses addresses all the people, and the main point that he seeks to get across to them The main thing that he insists upon is the duty of obedience. This is what you're to do. You'll find that the commandments are not mere advice. It's not, well, this is what you should do. It's, this is what you must do. God's commandments are not negotiable. God doesn't say, well, you can take it or leave it. You you can have this law or forget about it. No, this is what you must do. 
<clears throat> the duty of obedience is insisted upon in this book. I would say, in fact, that obedience is the keynote of Deuteronomy. As it is also the keynote, or the keystone, if you like. We're in the keystone state, aren't we? It's the keystone of blessing in the Christian life. There's a hymn that we sing, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust, there's faith, and obey. There is the Christian life. Obedience. Doing what you're told. This is what is set forth in Deuteronomy. It's the keynote of the book. And it is the keystone of blessing in your Christian life. You will not be able to be a happy Christian if you are a disobedient Christian. Don't we learn that lesson from the lives of men and women in the scripture? Was Jonah happy? When he was down in the belly of the fish, swallowed up by the whale, was he happy? No, he wasn't happy because he was in disobedience. And you'll see that repeated throughout the scripture and in the lives of many of God's professing people. But let me emphasize this, and it's made clear, even in Deuteronomy, an Old Testament book, this obedience is not in order to purchase the favor of God. But this obedience is demanded because they already enjoy the favor of God. And many, I would say most, have this wrong even today. Even churches, preachers, teachers. Do this, do that, do the other thing and you'll get to heaven. That's what they'll tell people. God says, no, no, you can't get to heaven by doing this, 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 and this. You can only get to heaven by what Christ has done on your behalf. That's how we're saved. We're not saved by trying to be good boys and girls. We seek to live in obedience to God because we already enjoy His favor. We don't obey God in order to get a relationship with God We obey God because we already have a relationship with God. That's the order. You cannot purchase God's favor. And yet this is something that comes naturally to our hearts. We think that we can. We're going to please God by doing this, 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 and this. Or we're going to please God by not doing this and this. But we please God, we seek to please God... Because we already are in a position whereby we enjoy his grace in Christ. So this is the objective of the book, to teach us the importance of obedience. But as well as the objective of Deuteronomy, I want us to think about this simple outline of the book. And I don't want to make this too detailed, even though it is detailed, because uh, you're not going to remember it all anyway. You'd probably have to have this written out in front of you as an actual outline. But let me just mention it anyway. There are basically four main points in this outline. There is a retrospect of their pathway from chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 4 verse 43. In other words, he is 
speaking about that which had happened hitherto. You have an introduction, you have Moses' address, you have Moses' exhortation to them in chapter 4. It involves a review of history from chapter 1 verse 6 to chapter 3 verse 29 and the various places that they were at. Horeb, Kadesh Barnea, Heshbon, Beth Peor. These are all names that you'll find in the book, places where they were. Then you have, as well as the introduction, and as well as this point about the address of Moses, you have instructions regarding the cities of refuge. Now, I would love to get into that today, but if you were to read in chapter 4, from verse 41 to 43, it speaks of certain cities, cities that were set apart as what was known as cities of refuge. Let me give you an example. Somebody could be chopping wood and the head comes off the axe, off the handle, and the axe, the part of the the cutting edge comes off and it hits somebody up the side of the head and it kills them. You are then guilty of, in a sense, manslaughter, even though it was accidental, even though you didn't really mean to do it. It is your fault because you didn't have that axe head properly fixed on. There was a bit of neglect involved there. So here God gave a law that if you were near to one of these six cities, if you could run there as the manslayer and get into that city, as long as the priest was there alive, you would never be caught by what was called the manslayer, the one who would be the the taker of revenge. There was someone appointed who would have killed you if you didn't make it to the city of refuge. And there's a great lesson in that. The cities of refuge represent the Lord Jesus Christ. They represent the work of Christ. And when we have sinned against God, we're guilty, we're going to die because of our sin. If we get into the refuge, which is Christ, as long as He, the high priest, lives, we will never die. That's the teaching of the cities of refuge. And many other things I could mention, their names are very significant, each of them. This is the retrospect of pathway. The second thing was the resume of the law, from chapter 444 to chapter 2619. Again, we haven't time to get into it, but there's an introduction, there's an address of Moses, a general address about entry into the land, and then a special application in the address of Moses concerning that which would happen in the land. Laws of religious life, worship, laws of political life, laws of social life, all of these things are mentioned. Then there's a re-emphasis on responsibility. You'll see this in chapters 27 through 30, and it's really important that we study that because there's a series of alternatives set forth there. Blessing and cursing. It's either one or the other. You either will do this, 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 and this, and know the blessing of God. You'll be blessed in the field. You'll be blessed at home. You'll be blessed wherever. Or you do the opposite, and you're cursed. There's a curse on this. There's a curse on that. There's a curse on the other thing. A series of alternatives. And you know, in the gospel, the Lord sets this before men. Blessing and cursing. Heaven 
or hell? Salvation or damnation? This is really what is set forth here, typically. You not only have blessing and cursing, you have obedience and disobedience. Again, that's very clear, isn't it? You can either obey or you can disobey. And obviously there's life and there's death. All of these are part of the outline of the book. There's also a reminder of duty in chapters 31 through 34, the latter part of the book. And I would divide those into chapter 31, 32, 33, and 34. You have the outlook, you have the song, you have the blessing, and you have the end. That's what comes at the end. The end. But as well as this outline of the book, and we haven't really time to flesh this out, there is what I would call the overview of the book. A general overview of the character of Deuteronomy. Quite a few headings here, but I want to get through some of them this morning. And I want to view the character of the book, the the overview of the book of Deuteronomy in the following ways. First of all, there are the various exhortations in Deuteronomy that fit the historical situation exactly. See, the Lord gave them laws that were suitable for where they were living, suitable to their circumstances. And in their case, these laws and these exhortations actually were needed because they were a nation that was on the verge of the promised land. And in these exhortations that the Lord gave, there was not only a review of the past, but there was also a prediction about the future. Here's what's going to happen. And again, the alternative consequences are mentioned The consequence of loyalty to the worship of God or idolatry on the other hand. Here's what will happen to you as God's people if you follow my laws. Here's what will happen to you if you go off into idolatry. And the teaching that's there is very good for us today as well. If you go back to Exodus chapter 19, the circumstances of the giving of the Ten Commandments. It tells you there in Exodus 19 and verse number 23. And the Lord, sorry, and Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargedest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it, or set it apart. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. Then you go to chapter 26 of Leviticus. And if you were to read the whole of that chapter 26, there are various warnings there. Ye shall make you no idols nor graven image. You're to keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, I'll give you rain in due season. The land will yield her increase and so on. You'll be able to chase your enemies. Five of you shall shall chase a hundred. A hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. I'll have respect unto you. I'll make you fruitful. I will multiply you. I will establish my covenant with you. 
Best of all, he says in verse 12 of that chapter 26 of Leviticus, And I will walk among you and will be your God and ye shall be my people. But then he uses this word, but. We're all familiar with that word, aren't we? But. There's a but. And it's in verse 14 and the verses following. But if you will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes, and so on, he says, verse 16, I also will do this unto you. And all that follows is fearful. It's solemn. And the Lord is basically warning the people of Israel, you obey me, you worship me, and not idols. Here's the blessing that follows. You refuse to worship me, you have your idols, here's what will follow. It's very simple. Nothing complicated about it. So here you have not only a review of the past, what God had done for them, but also a prediction about the future with these alternative consequences of loyalty to God's worship or idolatry and what will follow in its wake. And so knowing about the idolatry of Canaan and the Canaanites, Moses both warned and pledged the people of Israel afresh. So that's the first thing, the various exhortations you find in Deuteronomy as you read through. You see that they fit the historical situation exactly. Secondly, the historical situation in Deuteronomy would also account for the characteristics of the legislation, the kinds of laws that were made. Especially in light of their 40 years of neglect and putting off of obedience. Someone described the people of Israel as slow travelers because they were slow learners. There's a spiritual application to that. Sometimes there are those that profess the Lord's name and they don't seem to travel very far because they learn very, very slowly. It took the children of Israel about 40 years to travel something like 11 days journey. Now if I did that today, I'd have to get a new car. Nobody wants to travel for 40 years on a journey that normally takes 11 days. But that's what they did. Think of the wasted years. Going round and round and round in circles in the wilderness. Getting nowhere. Like that little hamster on the wheel. Going nowhere fast. Now the immediate future was in view. And so there was a need for these people to be in union with God. And Deuteronomy speaks of that. Let me say thirdly that Deuteronomy is not merely a repetition of the books of Exodus and Leviticus. You can say, oh well, it's the book of the second law, it's just repeating the stuff that's in those other books. I'll just pass over and read these other books. No, that would be wrong. Because the situation in Deuteronomy and the purpose of Deuteronomy are different. For example, there are no laws in Deuteronomy for the desert. We also find some variation from the book of Leviticus. Let me give you one example. In Leviticus 17 verse 15, 
It's very clear that every soul that eateth that which died of itself or that which was torn with beasts, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the even, then shall he be clean. That was God's law there. But you compare Deuteronomy chapter 14. Sorry, Deuteronomy 14, verse 21. And notice what it says there. Ye shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself. Okay, that's the same. Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it, or thou mayest sell it unto an alien, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. So there's a slight variation there from what you have in Leviticus. It was because of the situation there in the desert. In the former case, Leviticus 17, some laxity was permitted because the people were dwelling where animal food was scarce. And you can also then compare another scripture, Leviticus 17 verse 2 with Deuteronomy 12 verse 15, respecting the laws of slaughter in the desert and then in Canaan. They were slightly different because the circumstances were different. There are very few ritual laws in Deuteronomy. Why? Because this is a book that was addressed to the people as a whole, whereas Leviticus was addressed to the priests in particular. That's the distinction that has to be made. So Deuteronomy is not merely a repetition of the books of Exodus and Leviticus. Fourthly, it is, the book of Deuteronomy, much more than simply a review. It's not just a rehearsal. It's actually a means of preparation for the people. You look at Exodus and you look at Numbers. In those books, the people were actually physically passing through those experiences. But in Deuteronomy, they're not passing through those experiences. They're looking back over those experiences and drawing lessons from them. That's what God is doing in Deuteronomy. He's teaching the people why these things happened and the consequences of what happened in Exodus and in Numbers. And so Moses provides further details. There are additions, there are explanations that were not found at all in the book of Numbers. You'll see that there's those differences. For example, in regard to the appointment of elders to assist Moses, remember how he was to choose out certain men to help him in the work? In the book of Numbers, we're told that it was done. But there's absolutely no record of any instructions that Moses gave to those men. Here's what you're to do. Here's how you're to serve. But those instructions were given in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Where he says to them, I charge your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment. But ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that's too hard for you 
bring it unto me and I will hear it. So you have these instructions that you don't find in the book of Numbers. Again, I could say in Numbers it records that the spies were sent from Kadesh Barnea. But it's not until we come to Deuteronomy chapter 1 from verse 19 to 23 that we hear about the request that comes from the people. So there's further fleshing out of the detail that God gives in Deuteronomy. There's another example. In Numbers, we're told that Moses was forbidden to enter the land of Canaan. Remember that? You're not going into the promised land, Moses, because of your unbelief. You were supposed to speak to the rock and you smote the rock twice. You're not going into the land of Canaan. But we don't find out about the conversation that took place between him and God until we come to Deuteronomy chapter 3. From verse 23 to verse 28. That conversation is mentioned. It begins with the words, And I besought the Lord at that time, saying... Talks about how he asked the Lord, he begged the Lord, Lord, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that's beyond Jordan. Please let me go. The Lord said, Moses, I don't want you to talk to me anymore about this. Go up to the top of the Mount Pisgah, and I'll let you look westward, northward, southward, and eastward. I'll let you behold it with your eyes, but you're not going to be going over the river Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before the people. That conversation you don't find in the original mention of that judgment that God announced to Moses that he wasn't going into Canaan. But it is interesting, just as a sidelight here, that Moses actually did enter the promised land eventually. Not as he was in his unglorified state, but in his glorified state. And you read about it in Matthew chapter 17, where there was the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And his clothes became white as the light, shining so that you couldn't look at it brighter than the light. There was a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And there were two men who stood there with Jesus. One was Elias, Elijah. You'll notice that Elijah didn't die. Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven directly. And Moses, he did die, but he was buried in secret by the Lord. But here he is as well. Elijah and Moses. And there they are speaking with the Lord. And Peter and the others that were there, James and John, heard it. Where was Moses? He was in Canaan. He was in the promised land with Christ. Oh, the mercy of God. Let me then say that in Leviticus, fifthly, the sons of Aaron were distinguished from the Levites. His progeny. And all the details, all the instructions concerning those men, they were separated, they were detailed. But Deuteronomy just uses a comprehensive collective term, the priests, the Levites. 
But yet there is a distinction made here as well. And it mentions the dues that were to be paid by the people to the priests in chapter 18 and verse 3. Very quickly, let me mention, sixthly, the laws regarding cleanness in Leviticus. The laws regarding legal processes in Deuteronomy, they all had one purpose. Think about this. The legal processes in Deuteronomy, the laws about cleanness in Leviticus, they had one purpose. And that was to keep the people free from the contamination of the heathen. God's purpose in all of this was separation. And there's a great lesson in that for God's people today. God wants us, and we emphasize this in the book of Leviticus, He wants us to be a holy people. Not the same as everybody else, but different from everybody else. A distinct people. Indeed, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Separation. But also there was a central sanctuary mentioned here. There was one place where they were to gather for worship. And this was emphasized in the interest of the unity of the people. And therefore the purity of their worship. They wouldn't all be just doing their own thing here and there and yonder. They were all doing the same thing. This is what God wants us to do. To follow his word. And it's clear, therefore, in the seventh place, that Deuteronomy is different from the rest of the Pentateuch. It's a very different book from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And if you study it closely, you'll see that it is a book that is incomplete by itself. It it consequently needs all of the preceding books, and yet it's a very different book in itself. And I could flesh that out if we had time to compare some of the descriptions of the Ark of the Covenant and of the Tabernacle. Things that are said that make the book of Deuteronomy unique, distinct. The style of Deuteronomy, lastly, is so well marked as to point to the unity of the book. This is not just a collection of stuff from all over. This is one book. And it belongs with the Pentateuch. For instance, there are particular words and phrases that recur. That give a distinctive colouring to every part of this book. For example, we read over and over again. That the people were told that these laws of God... And the demand of obedience were for their good always. Look at this reference, and with this we'll finish. Chapter 6, verse 24. And by the way, this is not by any means the only reference to this. You can actually do this as a project for yourself and go through the book of Deuteronomy and look for this kind of phrase. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. Notice these words. For our good always. 
that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. For our good always. Or sometimes it is for your good always. Don't we sometimes imagine as believers the things that happen in our lives no good can come of this. This, how, how can this be good? How can this be in any way beneficial to me or anyone else? And the reason we say that is because we're not God. We don't see things as He sees them. We don't see the beautiful picture that's made on the tapestry. We look at it from the bottom and all we see is all these threads of different colors and knots and it doesn't mean anything. But if we were to turn it over and see a beautiful picture that has been put together. God knows the way. He holds the key. He guides us with unerring hand. Someday, sometime, we'll understand. The hymn says, Then trust in God through all thy days. Fear not, for he doth hold thy hand. Though dark thy way, still sing and praise. Sometime, sometime, we'll understand. See, the Lord does what he does for our good always. People might say, well, I knew you'd turn to that scripture, because that's the scripture that always is the go-to verse for everybody. Yes, it is, because it's God's word. Romans 8, 28. Don't forget the first three words of that text. Most people don't quote it correctly. Most people will say, all things work together for... You started too late. Because the verse actually says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Paul says, we know. We know. And you and I can only know this sometimes by faith. If we're being honest, we don't really see it. But we know it in our hearts. That all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. When we're in glory, those of us that are saved... Then we will bless the hand that guided. We'll bless the heart that planned. When throned where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. We will see that all that took place was for our good always. That's the message of the book of Deuteronomy. May the Lord bless it to all of our hearts. Amen.